What's up, all you green jello eaters out there? You're listening to Polygonometry. This is a podcast where I sit down with a member of my giant, huge, massive, colossal family. And we sit down and we talk about what it's like growing up in polygamy. And uh, guys, I just want to extend a giant, huge, massive plate of gratitude uh, towards all of you guys from all over the place. I was looking at my analytics the other day, and we got people listening in from the Åland Islands in Maryhamen or Mariham, Mariham, I don't know. If you guys don't know where the Island Island is, uh, first off, shout out to the Island, Island, Island Islands. Um, it's this uh, autonomous region in between Sweden, Finland, and Estonia in the Gulf of Bothnia uh, in Scandinavia. Uh, so, guys, I don't know what it's like out there in Island, um, but it sounds like the name of my roommate. So uh, I want to go there. I want to take him there too, because then they'd be like, wait, are you Alan? And then he'd be like, yeah, I'm here. Uh, so anyway, guys, we got people listening from all over the place. We picked up people from Costa Rica. We got people listening in from Brazil. We got people uh, listening in from France. And if you're listening in from France, I just love you guys' croissants, dude. Instead of your croissant. Uh, but basically, guys, uh, before we get into it, I just want to let you guys know, have any questions, comments, concerns, send them my way. And this week's episode is going to be the first of three episodes involving the review of the very controversial, the very uh, interesting and resonant CES letter. Uh, and I couldn't think of anybody to sit down with me on this more than my new friend, Sarah. Uh, you heard her on the podcast a few episodes ago. She's from the Mormon True Crime and History Instagram page and social media outlet. Um, and she, her and I sat down and we chatted for about three hours. So this is the first hour-ish of the three-hour conversation that we had. And I tell you what, man, she has more Mormon history inside of her pinky toenail clippings than I ever will have. Uh, she's absolutely the best and she's wonderful. And guys, if you've never read the CES letter, I encourage you to. I truly, truly do. If you're not familiar with Mormonism, it's a really good way to kind of dig in. Um, and if you are a member of the church, you got to look at it, in my opinion. You got to see all sides of that coin. You got to see all sides of that perspective. Um, and like I've mentioned on the podcast before, I have really have a hard time thinking of a piece of literature um, that I've resonated with more. I uh, really put a lot of things in, pr in perspective for me. Um, and if that's if you're one of those people who are uh, mentally or spiritually in, mentally out, uh, or whatever that acronym is, I can't remember what it's called. Um, and take a look at it. Um, I encourage anybody to you know read all sides of every issue. I flip heads and I also flip tails. So that's the way it goes. Um, I hope you guys enjoy it and please. Have a good time. Stay safe out there. Eat all that green jello. Roast some wieners and barbecue it up. Be safe. Have a fun time. Happy 4th of July for everyone that is listening from America. So when you first cracked this thing open, 
What was your first impression? So I, okay. The funniest thing is that when I started reading it, um, I love the quotes he puts because I obviously love quotes. So I love that he's using quotes and, you know, facts and things to show that. But one of the first things that like had me laughing was, um, God, where is it? It's one of the first pages. Is it the one by uh, J. Reuben Clark? No, it was, maybe I'm like, hold on, let me go back a little bit. I think I just missed some stuff. I like literally started laughing. I, I was like, this is amazing. Um, I do love that the first quote is that everything in the church, like either rises or falls on the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon. So if it's not true, it says, you know, it's founder. If it's not true, then it's founders, false, fraudulent, and it's a deception. And I was like, yeah, that's a great quote to start with. And okay, so it says, uh, I've just barely pulled it up. Uh, Everything in the church, everything rises or falls on the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon and by implication, the prophet Joseph Smith's account of how it came forth. It sounds like a quote, sudden death proposition to me. Either the Book of Mormon is what the book of is what the prophet Joseph said it is, or this church and its founder are false, fraudulent, a deception from the first instance onward. And that quote is attributed to none other than our favorite friend, Jeffrey R. Holland. Yep. And that's tough, it sounds like. That's that's tough. Because yeah. Jeremy Runnels, the author of the CES letter, Proceeds to go on for 138 pages, just kind of poking holes like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. Uh, he just takes the entire church doctrine and the entire foundation and just makes it into Swiss cheese. And it's really, really hard to read this and not start to question everything about the LDS church. Yeah. So this is the first thing that I saw and I, I started laughing because I was like, I didn't know what to expect. I, whatever I thought I had been reading that I assumed was the CES letter, I must not have been reading the CES letter because this is not what I read in the past. Um, but when he says, what, what are 1769 King James Version Edition errors doing in the Book of Mormon? I just started laughing because I was like, oh my gosh, this guy, this is going to be so amazing. <laughs> And he's got a good point. That's a great way to start out the letter. So uh, we should probably give some background on what the CES letter is for those who are completely unaware of what we're talking about. So the CES letter, um, CES stands for Church Education System. Um, and this is a letter written by Jeremy T. Runnels. Shout out, shout out to Jeremy. Um, uh, but he wrote this letter to um, the president of the church education system. And basically the church education system, and you might be able to correct me if I'm wrong on this, um, but my understanding is that it is essentially the church's uh, program of, okay, so how do we educate people on what this church is all about? They're the people who kind of help out with, you know, Sunday school lessons and all of that stuff. So all the stuff that you hear during Sunday school when you go to church on Sundays um, is kind of filtered through the CES. And so Jeremy wrote this uh, letter, it's 138 pages long, by the way, to the president of the CES and basically said, hey, here's some inconsistencies on what's going on. And he did not receive any correspondence back from 
the president of the CES after he wrote this, which is really telling, really, yeah. really telling. And I don't actually know what the church education system, to be honest, is. I assume that it would be something like what you said, and then also like seminary and institute. But the truth is, yes. like, I'm, I don't actually know. I, I think that's what it is. I could be wrong. And, you so know, too. we're going to we're going to Google it quick. Um, but he starts off with a bunch of he basically just asks question after question after question. But and some of them are hilarious. Some of his questions are so good. Like, you're just like, oh, my gosh. I expected it. I don't know why. Like, I kind of expected it to be like slow you know and I don't know why I did that but this is not slow like I literally read it I printed it off like I told you last night I'm like hey is this it because it's like 130 pages I thought it was gonna be like maybe 20 pages and then I started reading it last night and I finished it today and it's definitely not slow you can get through it I'm a fast reader but you can get through it really quick because it's very captivating I think yeah, and it's and it's an easy read. Um, the way right. that he writes, the way that he writes it, um, it's not like, uh, you know, you're not reading really dense stuff. He asks right. pretty simple questions, and he has really easy, consumable examples, and and ways to kind of just like get you on board with what he's trying to say. Um, and okay, so the church education system or educational system is basically like the you know, seminary institute. So you nailed it with that one. Um, BYU, BYU, Hawaii, BYUI, uh, pathway worldwide and ensign college. So the whole like church school systems or church schools, um, watching time. Uh, yeah. Operate under <laughs> the, <laughs> the church educational system. So he wrote it to the president of that system. Anyway, now that we got that cleared out of the way. Um, and it, it, it is a pretty simple read, really easy. Um, and he's very, it, the very first thing that he starts off with, <laughs> what are, or what are 1769 King James version e edition errors doing in the book of Mormon? I Perfect. just laughed. I just started laughing like out loud. I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be seriously amazing. Cause it's truly, it really is a good question. You know, like what are they doing there? Yeah. And people we don't think about it though. When you're in the cult, you know, the system, you're just like, Oh yeah, he talks like old King James, but like, why? If it's ancient, you know what I mean. Like, why would he be stuck in Shakespearean English? Like, it's hilarious. Yeah. So the example that he uses, um, uh, and for those of you who might recognize this verse, I'm going to read it really quick, and we don't have to go through every single question because there's a lot in this letter. Um, but the first one he goes, the first example he gives is, uh, nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation when at first he lightly affected the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali and afterwards more grievously afflicted by the way of the Red Sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. If you recognize that verse, you might recognize it as 2 Nephi chapter 19 verse 1, but it is actually Isaiah chapter 9 verse 1 as yeah, well. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> it's incredible. It's like so much of the Book of Mormon is plagiarized. And it's funny because like, I don't know, the versions that you used, but growing up, we would use versions that would actually like put um, footnotes in and like link us back to the Bible, like as trying to prove that that gave it more credit. But when yes. you get older, you're like, wait a minute, this just proves that he's taking this from the Bible and putting it in his book. Okay. So it's funny that you bring that up because when I was a kid, when I was, you know, kind of having a little bit of my own little faith crisis, I saw that. 
and I, I had my quad, right, with my little engraved name on it and everything. Yeah, and uh, I saw that. Not specifically that example, but they had that idea. They're like, oh, this is proof that the Book of Mormon is, you know, a sacred text and word of God and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, well, it's the same thing. And I know yeah. for a fact that the Bible was around before the Book of Mormon. Yeah. As far as it being published anyway. So how is it possible that Joseph Smith had this revelation from God, but he could probably just read it from the King James Version? Well, and also you got to realize, like, if the Book of Mormon was true, and this is ancient history, these people didn't have a lot of room to be recording ancient history. So why are they wasting it plagiarizing the Bible? Why would the ancient people not be putting something original into their text? You know what I mean? Like, why are they, they would have already known if Jesus could really talk to them and come. Like, hey, you don't need to put that in there because it's already in a book or it will be like in a hundred years, they'll start (laughs) gathering. We already got to cover This is. This is in the Torah already, so ignore the Old Testament because that's the Torah, and it's been around for a long time. Yeah, a very they long time. Yeah, they didn't do that. Yeah, and so he, there's just so many, he goes, like, I mean, he goes in and oh, yeah. just goes with example after example after example, um, examples in the book of Matthew and Third Nephi, Malachi, and, and uh, some interesting things with the Third Nephi as well, um, and... One of the things, and I wanted to talk to you about this. Uh, so this is number four in his uh, in his little thing here. Uh, he says the DNA analysis has concluded that Native American Indians did not originate from the Middle East or from Israelites, but rather from Asia. Why did the church change the following section in the introduction page of the 2006 edition of the Book of Mormon shortly after the DNA results were released? So this is crazy to me. So pre-2006... Every Book of Mormon that was published had in the introduction that the Lamanites, and they are the principal ancestors of American Indians. And then they changed it after 2006 to saying the Lamanites, and they are among the ancestors of American Indians. Which is still incorrect, according to the DNA. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, why are they still lying about that? Like, DNA (laughs) is proven. Like, it's still incorrect. They're not among them. There's, like, no indigenous... DNA in American history that has that in theirs. It's yeah. incredible. And so in the in the letter, uh, it has an update, and it says, The church conceded in its January 2014 Book of Mormon and DNA Studies essay that the majority of Native Americans carry largely Asian DNA. The church, through this essay, makes a major shift in the narrative from its past dominant narrative and claims of the origins of Native American Indians. I grew up being taught that the Lamanites and Nephites uh, were the ancestors of American Indians. Yeah, we did too. Like it was, they were like, oh, Indians came from Lamanites and Nephites. Yeah, it was, there was no, like I noticed when I was um, getting older, there was a shift to, okay, maybe other indigenous groups or like, you know, somewhere else in the world. But even that is incorrect. You know what I mean? Like it's crazy to realize that they're still doing this racist claim of, the, the Nephites are the white-skinned people, and the Lamanites are just anyone with dark skin. Yeah. That's really what the claim is still. Yeah, and that's really kind of not... I, it just purports a lot of really interesting racist undertones. You know yeah, what I mean? Oh, for sure. And it's just not okay, in my no, opinion. No, it's not. Yeah, it's not. 
But yeah, it's interesting because now the claim that I hear is, well, you know, we didn't say it was like American indigenous people. I'm like, yeah, you did. My whole life that I was a Mormon, that's all I heard. And then it became like, well, maybe other groups like Central America, South America, like, but it was not, that was not emphasized until DNA really proved that this was a lie. Yeah. Like the scientific empirical evidence states that Native Americans didn't come from uh, <laughs> the, you know, the pre, pre-Columbian uh, Meso, not Mesoamerican. Um, is a Mesoamerican the right way? I don't know. Is it the word? Yeah. Okay. So I, okay. I keep on making sure that I have to like, cause I keep on bouncing back and forth in my brain between like the middle East and, and central America. So, uh, another thing that, uh, when, like when I was growing up was that, okay, so here's a little bit of an anecdote. So my dad, his, a bunch of his brothers and, um, men that were his age, they went down to Guatemala for a trip when I was a kid and they went to Chichen Itzu or Chichen Itzu or I think is what it is um, and looked at all of the you know Mayan ruins Mm -hmm. and the church sponsored a tour down there basically saying like look at all the Nephite stuff that's around here people always talking about how it's Mayans the Mayans if you didn't know, <laughs> were the Lamanites and the Nephites. And so they're doing like this sanctioned Cultural. Ch- yeah, tour sorry. down there. And I remember him getting back from it. And he was like, man, it was so cool. I was walking on this ancient Nephite road and like all this stuff. And then realizing, you know, later on, just through, you know, your own uh, digging and, and research, you know, it's, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not claiming to be an expert. I never have but it just seems a little fishy. Well, it's also cultural appropriation because you're ignoring what the culture is saying, what their beliefs are like. So they say that Quetzalcoatl was Jesus. Quetzalcoatl, if you talk to them or even listen or read like a Mayan priest book, I've read a couple. Quetzalcoatl was not Jesus. Like it wasn't, it's such cultural appropriation to take someone else's culture, put your own spin on it and claim it as your own. Like it's, literally the definition of it it's insane (laughs) (laughs) it's just like wait these people have like no shame you know like i'm like oh my gosh it's crazy and with every with every study that came out because they the dna analysis um that first showed up what you know that made the uh church change you know the the wording in the introduction to the Book of Mormon happened in 2006. And then in 2014, they kind of had to just be like, well, you know. Yeah. (laughs) Like, well, what is it then? You know, because we were taught and we were raised to believe this. And then now you change the the principal ancestors of the American Indians to among the ancestors of the Native Americans. Like, it's not any of those. So what is it? And so Mm -hmm. why have you been lying to us this entire time? It, it's interesting, too, because I remember when I was, like, quite young, I remember finding this page on the Internet when the Internet was still kind of, like, in its early stages, you know, it wasn't like now. And it was, like, a funded group, and there was a doctor, and he, because DNA, we didn't understand it, they were really trying to use this person to say that it was still indigenous, ancient, they were still ancient you know, Hebrews, 
they still had that in there. So he's basically trying to gaslight everybody um, to not believe what the scientific community was saying. And I tried looking for that. I can't find it anywhere. Like it's, it's interesting because it seems like they were trying to still continue to lie. And then when it got to, you know, like 2006, 2014, it's kind of like, oh crap. Now they're, it's just too well known. We can't lie anymore. <clears throat> but I mean, they still are, but cause it says among, and they know that's not true. But yeah. I, I imagine that they'll switch that pretty soon too. Cause I think what one of their schemes is, is that they change, they tweak it a little in the beginning and then when something else comes up, they just kind of remove stuff. If that makes sense. Or like, it's kind of like a distraction thing. You know what I mean? Like they're not going to do a full switch right away. Yeah, so I imagine in the to, next 10 years, that will be a little away. bit more like sly with it instead of like a cut and dry change because yep. that's noticeable. But if you do it little by little, then people don't notice it except exactly. for people who just want to put in a little bit more effort. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and another thing that, and that idea of being able to kind of just change things little by little is really not good. It's no, really it's not good. It's, it's, it's very deceptive. And one of the things that, again, when I was having my, my faith crisis, if you want to call it that, we can call it that. Um, remember in the quad, they had like a biblical index mm -hmm. where they had like a bunch of words and how they basically define it and how to take those words into context. Yeah, because we're not smart enough to figure out like how to think for ourselves. Well, I mean, I'm not going to say that, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I I remember seeing there in like in there the the word prophet, and something stuck out to me with the word prophet in there because it said those who are called by God to uh, basically you know give His divine you know interventions or or, or whatever, and also edit texts. And that was something ah. that just really did not sit well with me. And I remember circling it in, in red pen in my quad of like editing texts. That's not okay. Because if it's yeah. the word of God, then why yeah. does it need to be edited. edited? It doesn't make any sense. I don't know. I'd have to go look at my old Book of Mormon and Bible. Um, I don't know if we had that. Like a, I. Maybe we did. I mean, I haven't opened it except for once recently. So I have to go check and see because that's something I think I would have remembered seeing. And I like something like that, like little things like that. But I don't know if we had that. Now oh, I'm curious. Well, I mean, I'm we like, didn't we didn't have an AUB specific quad, by the way. Oh, so you got yours from the church? Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, completely. And yeah, it was, you know, I mean, this the typical one that every Mormon has, you know. Um, Mine was the 87 edition. That was the year I was born. Okay. Or maybe it was actually the 93. So I, yeah, I'd have to check, but if, I'm sure if it's in there, it's in there. And I just, I think after the age of 12, when I saw Hinkley lying, I was like, mm, yeah, not paying attention as much. And I mean, it, it, I don't know how you felt when you read this. Um, and I mentioned this last time uh, that we spoke, but I haven't resonated with a piece of literature <laughs> more than the CES letter because, uh, there's just so much in here that is just like, oh, well, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, like the idea that, you know, horses, cattle, sheep, uh, goats, elephants, chariots, uh, steel, silk, iron, all this stuff didn't exist in the Americas during Book of Mormon times. Yeah. And this is just another thing. And by the way, for those of you who are listening at home, we're going to be rifling through and bouncing around a ton, so I apologize in advance. Um, 
but just another thing it's a complete anachronism where he yeah he basically lays out like there's no steel in pre-columbian america like that's scientific like archaeologically that does it didn't happen and yep. because you know nephi made the bow of steel right you remember that I honestly, I was thinking about last night. I'm like, I don't think I remember a lot of the Book of Mormon stories. I don't, but I do remember when I was quite young, my brother pointed out the elephant thing and he's like, there weren't elephants in ancient America. And I was like, wait, what? I was like probably 10 or something. And I was like, there weren't, you know, like, cause you just take it as like truth. So I, I just remembered, you know, reading this last night and I'm like, yeah, my brother did tell me the thing about elephants when I was a kid, and I was totally shocked. Like, well, it says it in the sacred scripture, so it has to be true. And I had no idea until he told me that. <laughs> like, in, in First Nephi, it says that he made a bow of fine steel that he used to hunt with, and he broke it. And that was like a... I remember being a kid, and the way that they framed it with us, like, see how strong Nephi was? He broke a bow made out of metal. And we're all just like, whoa. <laughs> so cool. Yeah. That's hilarious. They're trying to like, you, you know, make superhero. Nephi, yeah, make Nephi into a superhero. Um, and I'm glad that you mentioned the the uh, elephants and like horses becoming tapirs, right? Is that what, mm -hmm. how you pronounce it? Um, if you don't know what a tapir is, it's like a, it's like an anteater mixed with a pig almost. And they didn't, they, they weren't around in pre-Columbian America. <laughs> they weren't here. <laughs> so uh, people have been kind of just bouncing around and being able to try to like skirt around the truth. And it just really does not work. Yep. I agree. Did you, um, sorry, I'm go sorry, ahead. What? I was just going to say, um, I really loved the part because I've, I've talked about this on my page about how many similarities there are to the geography where he was living at the time and the names of the towns and also, you know, the history, which later the letter gets into. So I loved that he brought these things up because it's, it's so shocking, you know, like when you, when you look at the things that were going on, like nothing about the Book of Mormon is actually original. That's nothing about the church, really. When you know the history of like America going on at that time and, and really get down into it, everything's taken from something else or inspired by something else, if that makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, yeah the, you know, the Book of Mormon, Alma, the modern place at the time, Alma. Yeah, the Valley of Alma, or yeah. in, in the Book of Mormon, and there's actually like a modern place in <laughs> in the area of you know upstate New York and in the Northeast that's called Alma and Boaz and <laughs> Jerusalem and Jordan and Lehi and you know and th like the land of Noah, going in and venturing forth into the land of Noah. There's this place called Noah Lakes that are just right around there. Um, Oneida, right? Oneida yep. Castle, right? That's a real place. And yeah. then Hill Oneida in the Book of Mormon. Rama is another one. Sodom and Sidom. Shiloh and Shelom. Sherbrooke and Shur. Like, there's just so many things where it's like, okay, come on, Joe. Just be a little bit more yeah. original. Like, put a little bit more effort in. <laughs> just try to come up with something on your own, man. Yeah. And unfortunately, the way that that gets um, processed from people in the church is that well no those those names 
came from the Book of Mormon, and because those all the, that's what they were named after is the places in the Book of Mormon, and it's right? Not. Because they're I mean, ancient places. Yeah, definitely not. And it's interesting with the you know Camorra, and he you know points out like there was a Camorra um, in Mozambique, and you know Moroni um, was a pirate. And it's in the stories that he was obsessed with, you know, Captain Kidd, Stephen Burroughs, we talked about before. Mm -hmm. These Moroni is also interesting because I told you about the list that I found that have the ship that goes up to where Stephen Burroughs is at Three Waters, right? Okay. Counterfeiter. Yes, yes, yes. So I actually found a name. I, I think it was like started with a P or something, but the last name is Moroni and it's next to one of the Smiths on the ship list. And I was like, oh, that's interesting because this is before. Um, so there's, you know, another example of Moroni. It was before there. It was before the Book of Mormon was published? Yeah, it oh, was okay. before 1830. Oh, cool. So I was like, well, he's standing next to someone on a ship, the dad is, that's got the name Moroni. Oh. And Moroni is an old Italian name. It, it's a variation of um an old italian name i actually went to a page you can get like old names and it will tell you like the different variations of the name and the history of where it came from and moroni was on that page it's an old italian one yeah and i know that, that like i mean as an example with my last name jessup um i think stems from the italian giuseppe which makes sense yeah you know what i mean so no and yeah. have you have you ever heard like uh Whenever, remember when uh, Prop 8 in California was really making a rise and the church was yes. like basically really leaning into making sure that didn't get passed? Um, yeah, they funded they funded pretty much all of it. Yeah. There was a little bit by the Catholic Church, but they did most of it. Yeah, and how like the the church became kind of like the center point and focus in the, in the news um, because Monson came up and he said, we will not be defeated. Uh, and like, if you're a righteous person, like don't vote for it. Um, and that kind of thing. Um, but something that always made me laugh was when they went on and they're talking about like, well, what is the Mormon church? And then they had some egghead. It's like, well, the prophet Moroni and they'd always call it, call it Moroni. And that always bothered me. It's like, it's Moroni guys. Come on, get yeah. it right. <laughs> get the name right. It's interesting you talk about Prop 8 because I actually was warned by someone who lived, his dad was a state president in Hawaii, and I heard about Prop 8 before, like, everybody kind of heard about in Utah what was going on, and he was like, do you know what they're doing? They did this in Hawaii. His dad was, he had a letter or an email, I suppose, from the headquarters in Salt Lake City to tell this Mormon politician who was like, we don't discriminate against, like, in Hawaii, we don't do that. Like she was supportive of gay marriage and she got pulled in and was told, stop saying that. And my friend was like, yeah, like the next time I saw her on the news, it was total flip flop, like different version of what she had been saying previously. And so he was really worried about it. But I was like, I don't imagine the church gives a crap about what's going on in California. Totally naive of me because I was sitting there like, I, you know, I think it's going to be OK. And then I started hearing from like my mom that they were asking for money at church. So I called my sister who's at BYU. She's like, yeah, they asked us for money too. And I'm like, dude, you guys are all like poor college students. Why are they asking you for money? And she was like, well, they said, if we don't want to donate money, we should donate time 
like if we have a California roommate, we can do their laundry or something like that so that they can go down to a call center. I'm like, what call center? She's like, apparently there's a call center and they're asking for volunteers to go down and like call all the people who can vote in California. Like it was crazy. It wasn't just like, hey, let's throw some money. And I mean, this is a very organized effort to to get involved in politics, which is a total violation of their status, um, their tax status. They are not supposed to. Like the IRS.gov website, literally, if you go and like look at it, it says they cannot do that. Okay, so can you lay that out a little bit more explicitly? I'm a little confused. So the church is not allowed to meddle in politics? Yeah, okay. according because they have um, the tax-exempt status. Yeah. But because it's like a violation of church and state, they part of that status is that you cannot tell people how to vote and you cannot give money to like encouraging people to vote a certain way or trying to overturn politics. But the church does it all the time. It's not just Prop 8. You know, like I told you, I think about the lottery in Oklahoma. They okay. did that. Did I tell you about that? I don't think so. I don't. It's not ringing a bell. Hit me with it. I'm ready. So in the 90s, there was... Um, Oklahoma wanted to do a lottery and most of the state said like on a, you know, pre little questionnaire or whatever it's called, they, they said they wanted the lottery. The church got involved and actually printed something in their church news bragging about how they helped overturn it. Even though it was like less than 1% of the state was Mormon. They, by the time they were done with their propaganda and everything, it was like, I think 70% voted against the lottery. And they also did this with the Equal um, Rights Amendment. So the church organized huge campaigns to fight the Equal Rights Amendment. Oh, well, that's great yeah. news. Yeah, they do this stuff all the time. Yeah, and, and it's not just the Mormon church that donates money to, to various political campaigns either. Um, basically, yeah. if you're... I mean, I know the Church of Scientology does that with a lot of stuff, right? Yeah. And then the Catholic Church does also, as well, and yeah. Yeah, so the Scientology, they actually, they operate very much like a cult, and they, they do things like whenever they would get investigated, they would flood the IRS with all this crap, just kind of overwhelming the system to just get what they want, and they did, and I think that was a really scary moment Um because it teaches groups like that, that you can get what you want if you put enough pressure, mm -hmm. play enough games. Yeah. I always like how, uh, <laughs> remember, I don't know if you remember, oh, you probably do, uh, when the the bombshell that Tom Cruise was a Scientologist kind of like came forward and everybody was like, wait a second, Ethan Hunt from Mission Impossible believes in all this crazy stuff? And he's like yeah. saluting portraits of L. Ron Hubbard and everything. Um, I remember this was so funny to me because that was, I don't know if it was right at that time or if I just kind of understood and absorbed that what that meant um, when I was, you know, a teenager. And all of my church friends would be like, <laughs> who would believe in Scientology? Seriously, that is crazy. They're coming out of volcanoes and this science fiction writer, Elron, who's it? What's his name? Man, this is bonkers. And I'm like, you, you believe you're going to have your own planet when you die? Like, yeah. <laughs> like, come on, bud. This is not that you think far he's different. Have a harem. Yeah, <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, and I love it. it. But it's 
I, lo- I love it when Mormons talk shit on Scientologists. It's so funny. <laughs> or any other group that operates like they do. Like sometimes I even hear when they talk about Jehovah's Witnesses, like, <laughs> you know, the missionaries go door to door. I'm like, so do yours. Like, like, yeah. what, like, why is it okay for yours to do that and not theirs? Oh, yeah. They're like, so oh, man, the, the Jehovah's Witnesses showed up. They're so annoying. <laughs> yeah. It's like you and spent two years of your life doing that in Ecuador, bud. I, yeah, I had that conversation with my mom once. She was like, why were you being polite to them when they came to the door? And I was like, well, first off, I answered the door and I thought they were Mormon. Like when they were talking, <laughs> they sounded kind of Mormon. So I couldn't tell the difference until they finally said something. And then I was like, oh God, you guys aren't Mormon, are you? Yeah. And she was like, I don't know how you confuse it. I'm like, well, they actually looked like Mormons and they kind of sounded like Mormons. They didn't have the tags, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and she she was just like, you're not supposed to listen. I'm like, well, why would you... Why would you expect other people to listen to to Mormons, but you aren't going to give them the same courtesy? Like I knew, you know, like I wasn't being rude. I was just like, yeah, you know, no, thanks. I'm not interested. But that was like, no, no to her. And I was like, you went to Nashville, Tennessee, and you cried all the time because, you you know, people didn't want to hear your message. Like, you don't have to believe something to just say, like well, thanks for sharing it. I'm not interested. You know what I mean? Oh, who was it? That's, I think it was a, a like Thomas Jefferson had a quote, I think. Now I don't want to butcher it, but basically he says like it's the mark of an uh, intelligent mind to hear an idea and not absorb it, I think is yeah. how, it, how it goes. And um, I probably just butchered that quote completely, but the idea basically from the quote is like, yeah, you can like listen to other people's opinions and not take them on as your own. And that's totally fine. And it's okay because, you know, just because someone says something to you doesn't make it truth. Right. You know, and that's how, that's how I function. I'm just like, I'll listen. doesn't mean I have to believe it, but yeah, I I just figure like you should give people the same courtesy that you want. You know what I mean? Yeah. Don't hurt my feelings to listen. It does seem a little weird that. Mormons would be like, don't listen to the Jehovah's Witness. Don't be nice to them. Chase them off. <laughs> Chase them off with a garden hose or whatever it is. Um, and yeah. yeah, it just seems a little weird, a little, a little backwards. Yeah. And that's the funny thing, though, because then you hear like I've heard like I've heard friends who say they leave the church and then they'll tell me like, oh, I'm going back in the church. I just know I had a really strong testimony when I was absent. I know it's true. And I'm like, Really? So what other churches did you listen to? Like, did you go and visit any? Mm-hmm. Well, what do you mean? And I'm like, how do you know it's true if you didn't even allow yourself to go explore and see other faiths? Yeah. They don't, they don't do that, though. You know, it just, I just wish that they were able to see, like, how, how quickly that doesn't line up or make sense. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense all right. at all because they say this thing, right? Like, I mean, it's in the Articles of Faith. Like, we believe that people should worship how, where, or what they may. And yet, we have missionaries. And, like... Who fail you, in terms of conversion rates. That's it's yeah, not very good. Yeah, baptismal rates, challenges, all that stuff. Like, then you're not really viewed as a, as a successful missionary, you know? And that affects you as a missionary, like, yeah, when you're, I mean, I've never been on a mission and I never will, but I mean, I've heard stories of young men and young women too, 
um, who basically just, I mean, what you just barely said about your, your, is it your mom who went to Nashville? Yeah. Breaking yeah. down and crying and yeah, they had quotas. Someone recently was like, we don't have quotas. And I'm like, well, I know you used to, because I, I know that my mom used to cry all the time. Cause it's, there was so much pressure to convert that it's like working for someone as a car salesman. And you're basically told like, you know, getting in trouble or being told you suck at your job because you're not able to sell the cars. And that's why whoever sells the best, they're going to convert the best because you're really selling something. Well, and when you think about it, it's, I mean, you're trying to just basically be, yeah, you nailed it. I think you nailed it. I, I don't even know why I'm saying this, but like a used car salesman and a missionary have a lot in common. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and the next, I'm, I don't want to like jump too, too far away from, from everything else. But, um, the next thing that I saw that really just hit me like a brick with the CES letter was how Joseph Smith translated the book of Mormon and how the artwork didn't really match the story. Cause I remember hearing about the Urim and Thummim and the, and the chest plate and the little goggles with the seer stones and, and everything. But then I also heard stories about how putting the seer stone in the hat and blotting out all of the light. And he just sat down and, you know, you know, dictated while Martin Harris trans or wrote it down. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And how there's no, there's no mention that he actually did. Well, hold on. Let me make sure that I get this right. Uh, like all the artwork says that Joseph was like, you know, looking at the golden plates and being like, oh, okay. And then like writing down a little bit of text and then a little bit of this. And then Martin Harris would help here out, you know, but then he was like, have the sheet in between. Cause Martin Harris never saw the, um, the plates. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And how it just doesn't That's really one of the like, many additions. yeah, th- th- there's just a lot of things that just don't line up. Between the and two, and it changed stories. all the time. Yeah, yeah. The original that was something that really shocked me is when I started like going back into the history. I'm like, we're not talking about even just accusations against these people. We're talking about so many lies and contradictions within their own statements that like are night and day sometimes different. Like Martin Harris says, "Yeah, I saw the plates," and then he's like, "Yeah, never mind. I didn't see the plates. I saw them in like." my mind or whatever yeah, they were like covered like, in, a, in a in a sheet or something right like on the table well, or he, something he says he he later said well yeah that was the original story that you know we were told is that he had the, the sheet between them but when he says with the witness stuff later you know it was like he there were quotes of him saying that he saw the plates and we were always told he saw the plates but then um he like it was an angel with the plates or something, right? Isn't that yeah. what we were told? And you know, and, we were we were. I mean, obviously, he found the plates in the hill Camorra. Um, he Joseph didn't go to Mozambique, by the way, to go get the plates. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and like he brings he he finds them and he basically says, "Okay, yeah, look at this amazing thing that I found." You know, the the first vision, which we'll get into in a second. Um, um, but basically, it boils down to the idea that. Joseph never really used the plates to dictate and translate for Martin Harris because they were yeah. just on the table, c- 
covered up in a cloth while he used the hat in the seer stone uh, system. So what are the plates for then? Sorry, go ahead. Uh, Basically, my question is like, what are the plates for if, like, why do you need to have them on the table covered in a cloth um, while he's doing this? Why have them at all? Yeah, why have, what what are they for? Why are they there, you know? So I think the plates, really the reason he was saying that is because there were letters around this time that were going to the Palmyra Post Office for the Golden Bible Co. Company. So that was actually a treasure digging company he had. And I saw an interview with Martin Harris. I read it. um, And he was saying in the 50s that the people who chased Joseph, the anti-Mormon mob, supposedly, they found out about the golden plates because Joseph's dad was drunk at the tavern telling everyone that his son had found them after Joseph was like, we can't tell anyone or they'll kill us. His dad's down there, you know, drunk talking about it. And the problem is, is that with these treasure digging companies, they would sign agreements that said like, we'll invest in this, but then you have to divide the treasure, like according to these terms. So according to Martin Harris, he was saying that the people who chased Joseph and the people who were looking and digging up, you know, after they supposedly moved them to the copper shop, um, next across the street. And then they got, you know, they went and raided that and they didn't find it. And he was like, well, I magically moved them like before he always has an excuse why they can't find them. But it's according to Martin Harris, it's because the, they were part of the treasure digging company. Therefore, if he found any gold plates, if he found any gold at all, he, according to their agreement, he has to share that. So oh, it wasn't even okay. an anti-Mormon mob. It was Joseph was like, he didn't want to give up the fact that he was just kind of full of it. So he was yeah, just like bouncing around. He with his, if he had them, he had to share it. Right. So they were mad because they're like, hey, we helped finance this treasure digging thing. We're part of the company. You owe us whatever treasure you found. And Joseph is getting like chased by them because he's deceiving his own company out of the gold he found. But then he later calls it an anti-Mormon mob. And Martin Harris is like, you know, explaining this interview, like, yeah, it's because they were part of the treasure digging thing. And, and that, they wanted the plates because they felt they deserved them. They felt they sure. had like a right to them. Well, because so. they signed a contract. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, and then the, the reason. contract. So they got turned on to this idea because Joseph Smith Sr. was like having a good time at the tavern. Yeah, he was drunk. He, like he calls him like the like Martin Harris says something, but the old man had drank too much whiskey or something like that. And he's going off about how then he's the one who tells everyone about it. So he's like running his mouth. And then that caused all the problems. But it's interesting because Lucy Smith shows how deceptive he was even to his own treasure digging people, because when he went to get the plates in her book, she admits that he stole one of um, I think it was Hosea Stahl's wagon and horse because they didn't have one because they couldn't afford apparently horses or whatever so he had come to visit them about the treasure digging company and he and emma stole the wagon and the horse and rode off which also by the way if you really care about your wife would you leave her in the freaking woods at midnight all alone when you think that there might be people coming to rob you like what kind of husband abandons her in the dark in the freaking woods back then there were like there were so many wild animals that we don't have anymore. There, it was filled with bears. Like, yeah, I don't know and, if that hill Camorra was, but you know what I mean? There was yeah, really I mean, that's, terrible animals. That's, that's true love, you know? That's true love. You, you abandon your wife yeah, um, when there's an angry mob after you. That's the way it goes. 
Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's another reason why when I was getting older, I'm like, I don't think he really had any danger because either he's a total dick and he left her to face like robbers and thieves all alone, potentially, mm-hmm. or he knew it wasn't dangerous at all. And he just made up this story. And one of the reasons I think he made up the story about being chased is because those two had come about the treasure taking company because he wasn't producing results. So he comes back running in sweating and he's like, look, I broke my, my thumb. And that's how, you know, I've been chased. I like jammed it or something. And then he says, but no one can see it. I've got to go hide it. So everybody runs away. But yeah, Lucy Smith admits that like, when they're asking about Joseph, like, where did he go? Hey, what happened to my wagon? What happened to the horse? They give him a false story. This, this guy's their friend, you know, like he's part of their company. Like, why would you need to like lie and steal someone's horse and wagon when you could just be like, oh, hey, he needs to go get something. So he took it. No worries. He'll be back. Yeah. It's just weird. Yeah. It's very much, it sounds, there's just so many parallels that I hear about like the the fun little tidbits of history that we were never ever ever taught um in regards yeah. to like these types of stories from Lucy Smith and and you know Martin Harris and you know hearing about Joseph Smith senior getting trashed at a tavern and that's the reason why the mob came after <laughs> Joe just because he had a you know all that stuff and then Joseph being like well I had this thing and then he had to like leave and then they're like oh well this happened to my thumb or whatever Joseph Smith sounds yeah. Joseph Smith sounds like that kid at the playground who just can't stop lying. Yeah, no, he can't. And that's the crazy thing. This is supposed to be the sacred, like sacred scripture that God trusts him with. Why is the first act of him getting it theft and deception? Like he's literally stealing someone's back then a horse was someone's vehicle. That's like stealing someone's car for the night and not telling them you took it. And then the next morning, instead of being like, Hey guys, I got it. It's all cool. He goes and disappears to go dig a well for somebody else. And the treasure digging people like Hosea Stowell, he's like, hey, where's Joseph? We need to talk about this. And so they have to actually hunt him down. And he's like, well, like, let me look into the hat. And another thing they admit <laughs> let me about look the into stone, the hat. interesting. <laughs> yeah. No, hold on. Yeah. Let me, let me, let me do this really quick. Uh... <laughs> he literally, he did that. He literally did. Emma it's was so like, funny. they need to know if the plates are in danger. And he's like, let me check the hat. Let me check the stone. That stone was also stolen. That was stolen from their neighbors, the chases. <laughs> so you got, you got this family that's supposed to be the most like holy family in the world. And again, you know, Lucy's father had published his own book years before and he admitted I didn't raise my children to love God. I raised them to deceive and lie. And so that's huge because you've got the grandfather saying, you know, my kids didn't actually respect God. We just conned people. Oh my, that is so crazy. And I think the thing that uh, people always kind of attach to with Joseph being deceptive, like it's almost, I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to reach back in my own memory of, like the reasons why we had to be, you know, sneaky and deceptive and, and all those things is because like it was such important work. Yeah. Right? And because so Satan important. wants to overthrow it. Yes. It was so important to the world and to all of our salvations that Joseph, uh, you know, did all these things. And in our brain, it's just like, oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah. No, I get it. But it's like, hey, he's kind of just a dude who's like, no, I I found something. It's like, oh, where is it? Well, I don't have it. Well, what do you mean? It was like, well, it's actually over here. Well, let's go. Okay. And then they go there. It's like, well, it's actually over at this place. 
There's oh, it's across actually, the street, you know, and it's just yeah, like, that, well, what do you mean, dude? Did you read, have you read the Hales statements about Joseph Smith? Because that's actually what one of the brothers says to, I think it's Emma's brother who says that, that like he said, he promised that he would produce the plates if I showed up at a certain time. So I showed up at the house or wherever at a certain time. And then he was like all angry with me when I asked him to produce the plates and he like stormed off or something. <laughs> so yeah, he literally did exactly what you just said. He really has done that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, dude, I'll show them to you. Just get here. I'll prove it. Okay. Yeah. Where are they? I don't yeah, know. Dude, just, I mean. Here's something. Okay. Here's something. Have you been to the Church History Museum in Salt Lake? I'm sure you have. Hold up. You froze for like a second. I just want to. Oh, okay. Can you okay, hear me ahead. now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, You've been to the Church History Museum, right? Up in Salt Lake City? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which one is that? Remind me, is that like what it looks like? I've been it, outside. It has the pentagram upside down, inverted pentagram in a circle. Oh, have you seen it, that outside? Oh, I haven't. I didn't notice that. Um, but they have like the pocket watch that stopped the bullet. They have the pepper box pistol. Um, they have like a replica hand cart, all this stuff. I don't know if I've actually been there. If I have, I must have been really little because I do remember seeing was the watch ever on display somewhere else? It might have been, but I remember it being oh, in there. Yeah, I remember being in there. But anyway, the reason why I was going to why I was talking about it is because they had like a replica um cast of the golden plates and you could like lift it to see oh like how heavy they were and stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I remember like being a kid, I was in 6th grade. And we went down there for a field trip and we were all just like, whoa, man, jo Joseph Smith's real strong because he had to carry these everywhere. Like these are really you know, heavy. <laughs> you know what's so funny about that is I was reading um, how much they would have weighed according to the dimensions. And then I was reading, I went to the U.S. Navy SEALs page to see because they say he carried them and ran for two miles. And I went to the page of the U.S. Navy SEALs to see how far they could run and how much weight they could carry running. And it's not even close to what Joseph did. And Joseph also, one thing he was really insecure about is the gimp he had from his surgery. Yeah. Like a limp, sorry, not gimp. I shouldn't call it gimp. He had a limp <laughs> from the surgery for the rest of his life. Yeah. So he he actually, I didn't mean to. I like it slipped <laughs> and it came out gimp and I meant limp. But yeah, he had that. So I'm like, so this guy with a limp is supposed to be running far longer than a Navy SEAL can carrying far more weight than a Navy SEAL can the whole time. I yeah. just, that's also, that's also a little bit of a, huh? Interesting little, uh, thing there. Huh. Yeah. Our, our literally our best soldiers can't come close to what Joseph Smith did. After years of doing it, like they're like, this is how far they can run. This is how much they can carry and they can't do it that long. They do it short distances. And I was like, well, that's embarrassing for the church. Yeah. Either that or that just proves that Joseph is, you know, acting Superman. on part of God because he is Superman. Yeah. Yeah. He got Superman abilities right that, then. That's what I'm believing from now on. But then Joseph he failed with his abilities because of his finger. He, you know, but that was the proof he needed to convince everybody else he got chased. So I guess God let that happen. Wait, the finger? You got, 
Yeah, I remember because I said that he oh, came running. It was like a jam, my finger or the thumb or whatever. I yeah. can't remember which one it was, but he some part of his hand is a finger or thumb. He's like, I got it jammed. And when I was running in, from these guys and blah, blah, blah. Oh, he and they used were like, his, his small injury on his hand yes. as evidence <laughs> of being chased. Yes, that was his evidence <laughs> of being chased. So, that's why it's so funny because he like comes in and he makes sure to show everyone. That's what Lucy says anyway in her book. Dude, like, the, look, look at what happened. If Joseph Smith was born in like 1990 and oh like was on the playground, he would be the kid who was like, well, my dad's truck can beat up your dad's truck. Yeah. You know, it that's the kind of kid. Autobot. Yeah, like, like that's the kind of kid that he would be, it sounds like, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> For uh, sure. That's so ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. He's he's something special, that's for sure. Okay. Um, so the next thing that I wanted to chat with you about is how Jeremy Runnels goes in on the first vision. Okay. What page is that? Like um, what number? 33. Okay. Yeah. 33. Because um, there are at least four different accounts of the first vision from what I remember. Right. So there's like the handwritten account, there's the official account, and then there's one like in 1940, like there's the one in 1832, uh, the two in 1835, 1838, and then 1842. Mm -hmm. um, and in the handwritten one from 1832, it wasn't publicly published, um, but it describes the first, ver the first vision in a way that like we don't remember it being as right that's totally different yeah it's completely, it's completely different. contradicting his own like version and it wasn't even written down for like you know they didn't publish it or just stories basically that evolved yeah you're cutting out for a second let's uh mm -hmm. can we take a pause and reset because i think the the my wife is uh, doing a little weird <laughs> 